0: Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 139, Thinking About Apple in 2019. Hi, Neil. It's great to be back with the first episode of the new year. Hopefully all of you had a great ending to 2018. The past few weeks have been a whirlwind in terms of Apple news. It's been a few years since Apple had such a busy start to the year. We had Apple revising first quarter 2019 guidance lower, we had some news on the Apple content distribution front. So, I've been talking about those topics in detail in the daily updates that have been going out to Above Avalon members. I'll talk a little bit more about those two topics at the end of the episode. Today, what we're going to do is embrace all of the unknown that's found with the new year. It's one great thing about January. And for a long time, Above Avalon listeners, You're going to be familiar with this because this has become a tradition here at Above Avalon where every January, I go through my questions for Apple in the new year. Now, there's a simple reason why I do questions. I think predictions are worthless. I think they're a joke. I think they end up wasting a lot of people's time. And it doesn't help that people who give predictions, they end up grading themselves on a curve anyway. (laughs) So they'll give a prediction, and then at the end of the year, they'll say, well, I was 25% right, or I was half right with that. I don't like doing that. Instead, I embrace the unknown, and I ask a lot of questions. Earlier this week over at AboveAvalon.com, I published my questions for Apple in 2019. And the total came out to 56 questions. Now, at first, some of you may be saying, wow, that's a lot of questions. I'll let you in on a little secret. 56 was actually the final number. I started with many more questions, but after going through a list, there was some consolidation. Some questions just didn't make the final cut. The final thing I would point out before we tackle this year's questions is that this is the fifth installment of Apple questions in a new year. I started doing this in 2015. And one thing I've discovered over the years, and this is especially true when it comes to the podcast, when you go through a lot of questions and you embrace the unknown found of a subject, at the very end, you actually get this sense of clarity about the subject. It's the opposite of what you would think. You would imagine that the end of asking and talking about questions, you are left so confused and you are left wondering, boy, we really don't know anything here. <laughs> but it's the opposite. And I find that so fascinating, and that's one reason why I love doing this, why I think it's so crucial to take what we don't know and hold on to it and run with it and see where it takes us. So with that, we are going to jump into my list of questions for Apple in 2019. And we're going to start with the big picture, major themes. What will be the major themes for Apple in 2019? When we go back to 2018, Apple unveiled a very aggressive hardware strategy. Apple updated every major product category. I would say the Apple Watch and the iPad Pro saw especially strong hardware updates. So I think a case can be made here that Apple used 2018 to release powerful new hardware that now happens to be in a position to take advantage of new software and services that Apple could launch in 2019. New products. Will Apple unveil a completely new product in 2019? We could have confidence that we're going to see a number of updates to existing product categories. For example, the Mac Pro. Apple has been pretty vocal That, yes, a new Mac Pro is coming in 2019. But what about something entirely new? Something that we can call a version one. In my view, the best candidate for something like that is found with wearables, such as a pair of Apple-branded over-the-ear headphones. Last year, when previewing Apple's product event in Brooklyn, one of my wildcards was that Apple would announce a brand new product. And I listed this pair of Apple-branded over-the-ear headphones. And there was one reason for that. My expectation was that Apple was going to have a vet catered to creatives. And that's exactly what Apple did. And so I figured, well, a pair of over-the-ear headphones would work really well for people who may are doing a lot of editing doing work indoors, essentially not necessarily mobile, but more someone who needs to really block out the surroundings and focus on the task at hand. And I think an over-the-ear headphone product that's Apple branded, that may share a little bit more design language and history with wireless AirPods versus Beats, that kind of product makes sense. But we didn't see that product. So that's one reason why... My question is if that product sees or gets the green light in 2019. The next topic, health initiatives. What does Apple have in plan for health in 2019? With Jeff Williams, Apple's CEO, leading Apple's health initiative, management continues to position health as one of Apple's most important long-term plays. Now, Tim Cook has been saying something interesting regarding health. And he actually said this in an interview following the guidance revision. So this is a couple weeks ago. Cook said, Apple's greatest contribution to mankind will be about health. Now, at first, that claim seems a bit much. It seems like Cook's just getting really excited here. And that's not reality. But when you stop and think about it, there aren't many tools more important than those helping to improve one's health. Now, we know the major themes to Apple's health strategy. There's adding health sensors to wearables, positioning the iPhone as a type of health data or medical data depository. There's investigating primary care, and Apple's been hiring medical professionals to work not only on those previous topics, but on entirely new ideas and concepts. And so in 2019, will we see some progress in a couple of those areas? Will we see new partnerships? Just yesterday, there was a new partnership announced between Johnson & Johnson and Apple when it comes to the Apple Watch heart rate sensor. And so I have a feeling you're going to see more of that throughout the year. So those were my three big picture questions. We're now going to turn to products. And the first one is iPhone. There's a very simple reason for that. The iPhone is responsible for a majority of Apple's revenue. Operating income plays a very big role in wearables adoption. It's, I think it's natural to have it be the first product. Some of these questions we will go through pretty quickly because I don't think we have to spend too much time on them while other questions deserve a little bit more detail, a little bit more discussion. So the first question, new models. How many new iPhones will Apple unveil in 2019? Last year marked the first time that Apple unveiled three new flagship iPhones at the same time. That was a very big deal. And I do think as a whole, consensus has underestimated how big of a deal that was. In the years prior, we had Apple announcing two flagship iPhones. You also had Apple sort of playing around with this idea of having a type of spring launch. So that's where you had the iPhone SE. Will we see something like that in 2019? Or is Apple moving back to just simply having new flagship iPhones available for the holiday season? All of the reports do point to Apple once again unveiling three new iPhones later this year, but I think when you're looking at the iPhone business as a whole, the topic about how many will be updated, it has so many implications in terms of pricing, demand, differentiation, naming. I think it's the most important question. Next, new features. What will be the top features for this year's new iPhones? Historically, what Apple likes to do is pick one or two, maybe three features that can be positioned as tentpole features. So these are things that you can wrap a marketing campaign around. When it comes to thinking about where the smartphone is headed, I think the answer is AR. Yes, we need new form factors to really push augmented reality forward, but I think there's a place for the smartphone to play in the AR era. And so with that said, I think a safe bet is to look for iPhone upgrades that include the device's brain, the processor, and eyes, the cameras. So every year, I think if you look at those two items, you probably are going to do pretty well in terms of where the new features, where Apple's focus is going to be. Another thing to keep in mind is Face ID. I think there's improvements that can be made to Face ID. When you look at how Face ID is used on the new iPad Pro, Face ID works in both the horizontal and vertical positions. It would be surprising if Apple doesn't bring additional utility to Face ID in terms of the iPhone, because as it stands right now, you still sort of have to have Face ID positioned a certain way. That could get awkward. It gets a little bit annoying at times. I think facial recognition is where things are headed. I think that is a great way of interacting with the iPhone, but that would require Face ID to continue to be elevated to new levels every year. The third question, differentiation. Will Apple add greater differentiation between iPhone models? Look at last year's flagship line. Apple positioned screen size as the only differentiator between the $999 5.8-inch iPhone XS and the 1099 6.5-inch iPhone XS Max. It's just screen size. That's one reason Apple named it Max. We then have a few relatively minor items differentiating the iPhone XS from the 749 6.1 inch iPhone XR. I think greater differentiation could play a role in Apple pushing iPhone demand in a particular direction. So they could elevate the largest iPhone option. By adding, say, a better camera, or by adding something to that model versus the other two models. Screen size. Is Apple working on a new, smaller iPhone? I do think the smartphone market has moved beyond the 4-inch iPhone SE. But there may still be enough demand out there for an all-screen device with Face ID that comes in a smaller footprint than the iPhone 10s. Naming. Will Apple stick with the iPhone X nomenclature for its newest iPhones? I think the Max branding works for the Apple's largest iPhone to date. I think it's a pretty strong brand. However, I'm not so sure about the effectiveness found with 10s and XR. I think it's more up for debate. While the iPhone X branding is strong, I'm just not sure where you bring that over time. Like, do you just simply follow Roman numerals? That gets really weird. However, as long as Apple maintains an annual iPhone update cadence, I do think it makes sense for Apple to rely on naming to differentiate new iPhones from older models. I don't think we're at the point yet where Apple can just call it iPhone or iPhone Max. I think there has to be a way to denote this is different than last year's iPhone. Gaging demand. How will Apple approach iPhone demand forecasting in 2019? We talked a little bit about this a few minutes ago. One item that outsiders did not fully contemplate was the level of difficulty found in estimating demand for three different flagship iPhones. Think about it this way. Not only did Apple management have to estimate overall demand for iPhone, which is incredibly difficult to do, but they had to estimate the sales mix, and I think that contributes to this idea that well, Apple may have thought the iPhone 10R would make up a larger portion of sales. In reality, sales maybe are a little bit more spread out between the 10R, 10S, and 10S Max. Pricing. Will Apple maintain its current iPhone pricing strategy? Pretty much in 2017 and 2018, the main Apple topic, the the, the hottest debate, has been iPhone pricing. Some people are just going crazy over this topic. My overall view on iPhone pricing is that it's incredibly easy to think lower pricing will lead to stronger iPhone demand. However, there are additional factors that one has to consider. We have the growing gray market for iPhone. That is satisfying demand at the low end. In my view, that gives Apple more freedom to be aggressive at the high end of the iPhone pricing spectrum. We also have Apple increasing pricing to compensate for including additional technology and flagship iPhones. When you have an iPhone business that has a growing percentage of sales coming from upgraders, it is crucial to look at that install base and see the differences. This is not one group that thinks the same about iPhone pricing, iPhone features, what they need, what they want. And I think that's important. Some people get very agitated. It's almost as if they're taking it personally. When Apple launches a $1,000 iPhone or an $1,100 iPhone, And then they're now looking at something like the iPhone XR, in which that really is one of the best-valued iPhones Apple has ever shipped. You then have other topics like iPhone residual values, the ability to trade in an iPhone and get more cash. People are holding on to their iPhones for longer. So there's a lot of elements at play here. There are a lot of factors that contribute to how Apple thinks about iPhone pricing strategy. The final iPhone question iOS 13. What will be the tentpole features in iOS 13? Here's the way I'm thinking about this. When I go to my iPhone these days, I don't really spend a lot of time on the home screen. Instead, I swipe right. I look at Apple News. I look at Siri app suggestions. I may do search. So the way I'm using the iPhone has changed. Meanwhile, with iOS 12, we didn't really have much in the way of cosmetic and UI changes. We had iOS 12 being focused on performance and stability. So you could see that makes me think we may start to see more dramatic changes to iOS in the coming years. We now turn to Apple Watch. The first question, new models. How many new Apple Watches will Apple unveil in 2019? last year, Apple discontinued the watch edition. I think that's a possible sign that watch demand has continued to be gravitating towards the lower priced model. So will we see Apple simply take series four, update it, have a cellular and a non-cellular version? Do we see Apple look to maybe expand it in slightly different ways? Watch bands, will Apple continue to position watch bands as the primary price differentiator between watch models. This is an interesting point. Instead of using watch case materials as a huge differentiator, Apple could use watch bands to appeal to a wider range of watch wears. So right now, Apple sells watch bands ranging from a $49 sport band and sport loop to a $539 Hermes band. Does Apple double down on that strategy, and we see Apple coming out with higher priced watch bands? The interesting thing being, you can continue using those watch bands for longer versus if you're putting resources and coming out with higher-end watch case materials. New features. What will be the tempo features in this year's new Apple watches and also watch OS 6? Last year, we saw Apple really push the boundaries when it came to new watch hardware. We had the larger screen. We have the new digital crown. It would be surprising to see Apple make a lot more changes in that area this year. Instead, I think maybe we do see the watch following more of that traditional iPhone S cycle. And so that would mean that the focus this year will be more on internal changes, maybe expanded health monitoring versus saying, major changes to the way the watch looks. Watch faces. Should we expect Apple to rethink watch faces? The app paradigm found on iPhone doesn't extend to the wrist. Instead, watch faces, and that includes how the complications are arranged on the face, play a big role in how we get information on our wrist. I'm very outspoken when it comes to the Siri watch face. I think it's great. I think it really does represent the bridge to the future. So I think if we see Apple making some major changes to watch faces, to complications, that could give us some clues as to how Apple's thinking about watch usage going forward. The final question, pricing. Will Apple continue to run with higher watch pricing? Last year, management raised watch pricing by $70 to $100. When we moved from the Series 3 to the Series 4, At the same time, Apple increased entry-level watch pricing by $30. One thing I will be focused on is seeing if watch pricing merely reflects the changing role the Apple Watch is playing. So as we give more value to the watch, do we see Apple continue to raise pricing over time? The next product, wireless AirPods. And I would point out that I gave this product its own category. I didn't necessarily include it in accessories, which was done on purpose. So my question with AirPods, will Apple unveil an updated pair of wireless AirPods in 2019? I think a lot of people are probably asking this question. Based on unit sales out of the gate, AirPods is the second best-selling product category for Apple of all time, after only iPad. I recently published updated sales estimates, both in terms of revenue and unit sales for both Apple Watch and wireless AirPods that went out to Above Avalon members. I'll include a link to that particular daily update in the show notes. When thinking about potential updates, changes to the AirPods charging case to support wireless charging has long been rumored. In addition, we have rumors of an AirPods update update that involves adding capabilities. Given how the product has gained iconic status pretty much overnight, I'm skeptical about major cosmetic changes at this time. I think one reason people are buying wireless earpods is they like how they look. They want to be seen in them. Next up is iPad. And the first question, iPad mini. Is Apple going to update the iPad mini? We have experienced peak iPad mini. It occurred years ago. Apple is never going to sell as many iPad minis as it did in the past. Why? Larger smartphones. We have larger smartphones permanently reducing the market for a small iPad. The thing is, if management believes an updated iPad mini can generate a few million unit sales per year, I think they'll give that product a green light. The next question What will happen to the low end 9.7 inch iPad? Apple has been very aggressive in cutting entry level 9.7 inch iPad pricing. We have the 9.7 inch iPad being used to target educational settings. So, from all indications, it's been a successful strategy. And I think it's going to put a spotlight on what Apple chooses to do with that low end model. And then the final question iOS 13. Will the iPad Pro be a beneficiary of iOS 13? We had very strong iPad Pro hardware updates in 2018. So I think positioning future iOS versions to take advantage of that more powerful hardware seems likely. The debate is found with how best Apple can add greater capability to the iPad. Turning to the Mac, we have the Mac Pro. What will be the new Mac Pro's design language? Based on previous management commentary, we know a modular machine is in the works. However, there's a lot of questions regarding what that actually means. How will Apple position its upcoming standalone display? With Apple announcing a new Mac Mini last year and a new Mac Pro coming this year, Apple's likely going to target this display to a relatively small niche of the Mac install base, but I think there's going to be questions over just how far Apple goes to market this device to maybe MacBook Pro users. Mac OS, how will Apple's efforts to make it easier for iOS developers to bring their apps to Mac OS impact the Mac's overall narrative? And this is related to the next question. Will there be additional clues of a Mac powered by Apple chips? being in the pipeline. Much of the intrigue found in making it easier for iOS developers to bring their apps to macOS is what that move implies about Apple working on an entry-level Mac powered by Apple chips. I think such a product is inevitable. I've been saying that for quite a while, and I think the best place to begin is at the low end. So you're looking at the MacBook, and in particular, if you're looking at that 12-inch MacBook that Apple did not update last year, I think that's the prime candidate for something like this. We now move to home accessories, and we're talking about Apple TV and HomePod, Will Apple expand Apple TV partnerships to include additional cable providers? We had the Charter partnership, Charters in 50 Million Homes. I think it's one of the more interesting news items for Apple TV from 2018. Do we see Apple betting on that going forward as a pretty interesting, a pretty successful way of improving Apple TV sales? And by the way, Apple TV sales do look pretty good. Turning to HomePod. Is Apple planning a HomePod update in 2019? Last year, there was a certain group of people that felt Apple should do something like a HomePod Mini. So maybe for smaller rooms. I'm not quite sure the point of such a product. That's different than just simply cutting the price. It's a completely different product. Um, I guess they're looking at something that's smaller, Meanwhile, you still have people who want Apple to come out with a $39 HomePod. I don't think that is likely. And there's other people who want something like a HomePod soundbar. My view on this is, while some of those products may be in the labs, maybe Apple's testing certain products, they are still working on rolling out HomePod to new countries. So I'm not quite sure 2019 is the year where you're going to see some type of expansion in the HomePod lineup. I would be surprised by that. The last question, marketing. Will Apple market Apple TV and HomePod any differently given its focus on strengthening its content distribution arm? This question is related to Apple extending AirPlay 2 to smart TVs and speakers. There's a lot here to discuss. It really can be an entire podcast episode in of itself, what I will say is this. There are still important roles for Apple TV and HomePod to play in the Apple ecosystem. The question is if Apple changes its marketing to reflect that. Turning to the next category, which I am labeling content distribution. This includes Apple Music, Apple Video, Apple News, it does not include services like Apple Maps, iCloud, and Apple Pay. Those three are in their own category, so I think that's important to note. I don't lump all of this into one big services bucket, because I don't think that's right. I think that ends up being more confusing than anything else, and I don't really think it reflects how Apple views these items. Apple Music. What is the next chapter for Apple Music? Apple Music. Judging by M&A activity, it looks like Apple has been busy developing some of Apple Music's behind-the-scenes pieces. So, for example, we have Apple working closely with labels on having a more powerful A&R platform. You also have Apple focused on growing the number of paid users by betting on partnerships, making the service available on as many devices as possible. There's a lot that's going on with Apple Music, even though from a consumer point of view, It may not seem like there's significant changes from year to year. Apple Video. When will Apple launch its original video content initiative? We know it's coming. There has been a constant stream of reports pointing to Apple developing a portfolio of original TV shows, movies, documentaries, children's programming. A few months ago, reports pegged Apple as making its original batch of content free to the Apple TV app. However, I don't think that really explains the long-term plans here. I don't think that captures Apple's roadmap when it comes to Apple Video. Apple News, two quick questions. Will Apple make Apple News available beyond Australia, the UK, and the US? I think the reason for the slow rollout has to do with difficulty in scaling the human curation that's found with Apple News. There's also a question with pay news. Will Apple launch a paid tier to Apple News? Apple's texture acquisition certainly raised the odds of Apple expanding that paid magazine subscription model to include news. Turning to services, we have Apple Maps. How fast will Apple roll out Apple Maps 2.0? Apple had a somewhat quiet launch of this enhanced mapping service with a rollout limited to Northern California iCloud, will Apple adjust or modify its free and paid iCloud tiers? And then there's Apple Pay. What are Apple's plans for improving Apple Pay adoption among U.S. retailers? We have Siri. And I have two questions. This first one we briefly mentioned a few minutes ago. How will Apple push Siri forward as a visual digital assistant? Of course, I'm talking about the Siri watch face. I really do think it is one of Apple's most intriguing features. The second question has to do with shortcuts. How will Apple push Siri shortcuts forward? In my view, the technology and design philosophy behind shortcuts say a lot about how Apple thinks about a digital voice assistant. And shortcuts are likely only being used by a small fraction of its install base. So I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more in this department in the coming years, and that could include news in 2019. So that concludes the product portion of my questions. Now we're going to turn to some of these other topics. The first is capital management. We're talking share buyback and cash dividends. Will there be any change to Apple's share buyback pace in 2019? Following the passage of U.S. tax reform, Apple began to utilize its foreign cash to fund share buyback. In fiscal year 2018, Apple spent $73 billion on share repurchases, although the buyback pace was closer to $80 billion per year by the end of the year. Looking ahead to 2019, things are a little bit all over the place because we have Apple revising guidance lower. That likely impacted its buyback activity in November and December. We're going to have to move beyond that to see exactly what the more normal buyback pace will be in 2019. Cash dividends. How much will Apple increase its quarterly cash dividend? We know it's going up. Apple has telegraphed that it will increase the cash dividend each year. As I discussed in detail in the Above Avalon quarterly report that was published at the end of 2018, Apple follows a stable dividend policy. So that's Management targeting a consistent dividend growth rate that does not necessarily follow the change in earnings. A couple other financial related questions. Quarterly guidance. Will Apple alter its financial guidance strategy after issuing the rear negative revision to first quarter 19 revenue guidance? In an environment with increased volatility due to slowing economic growth in emerging markets, Apple has the option of adjusting the way it provides guidance. So if it has a more difficult time engaging product demand over a particular three-month stretch, that could involve changing the way it provides guidance. Maybe that's a wider range. Maybe that is... A different type of guidance. Maybe you're looking at different data points. It would be surprising to see Apple move away from quarterly guidance altogether, yet Apple has that option, so that is something to consider. Financial disclosure will management refine its financial disclosure strategy in 2019. We're not going to get unit sales, but we're going to get better disclosure in terms of margin how does Apple approach that quarter by quarter? Do we see Apple maybe saying, you know, we're going to give some clues about unit sales when things are up? <laughs> There's, there, it's, things are not set in stone here. I don't expect Apple to go back on its decision to move away from unit sales. I do think that is the right move over time, but the transition is going to be tricky. So we'll see how Apple handles that difficult process. Management. Will there be any turnover within Apple's executive team? There is no turnover in 2018. Given Apple's upcoming product pipeline, there really isn't any obvious candidate within the senior vice president ranks when it comes to retirement or departures. I just don't see it. New hires? Will Tim Cook and his inner circle expand the executive team? There are currently 12 members officially on Apple's executive team. Last year, Apple expanded the team by one, with John Giandrea being promoted to Senior Vice President of Machine Learning and AI Strategy. For those of you interested in Apple's leadership structure, the first Above Avalon report titled Apple's Leadership Structure under Tim Cook and Johnny Ive is a 5,000-word deep dive into Apple's leadership structure. It is available exclusively for Above Avalon members. Next up is the Industrial Design Group. Will there be any turnover in Apple's Industrial Design Group after one departure in both 2016 and 2017? Things are quiet in 2018. There was no reported or rumored departure. Will Johnny Ive expand the Industrial Design Group? Apple recently hired Andrew Kim. He was a former senior designer at Tesla. He was focused on the Model 3 interior The thing is, it's not clear if he is actually part of Johnny's industrial design group. We have two more categories to go. The first is emerging markets, and of course, we begin with China. There's a lot to talk about here with China. I'm just going to keep it pretty straightforward, pretty simple. How will Apple respond to slowing economic growth in China? During the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, Apple was a fraction of its current size. The iPhone had just launched. The iPad was still being developed. Accordingly, Apple is in unchartered territory here. When it comes to having a mature iPhone and iPad business and pretty young wearables business, while also facing economic troubles in markets like China, we can even include Europe, various emerging markets, there's a lot there. And again, we could probably dedicate a number of episodes to this, and we could very well do that later on in the year, but it is a key question. Will Apple approach U.S. and China trade tensions differently in 2019? Cook remains upbeat that there's going to be some kind of deal or compromise. I get this feeling that there's some people in his camp. There's others who think that this is going to be an ongoing headwind throughout 2019, Will Apple continue to raise product pricing outside the U.S. to compensate for the stronger dollar? Up to now, the answer has been yes. But we'll see what happens as economic growth slows in certain countries. And then finally, what initiatives does Apple have in store to improve its positioning in India? Apple is being priced out of the market, and there's no obvious near-term solution here. In 2018, India was responsible for just $2 billion of Apple's revenue. That officially positions India when it comes to revenue as a rounding error for Apple. Next up is R&D and future products. We have Apple Glasses. So will there be any signs of Apple getting closer to a glasses unveiling? Based on M&A trends, I think odds of Apple holding a glasses unveiling go up in 2020 and 2021. Project Titan. What will be the major developments related to Titan in 2019? Last year, we actually had a pretty good number of news items related to Titan, which again is a catch basin for Apple's transportation R&D initiatives. Apple is reportedly working with Volkswagen on self-driving vans for Apple employees. We have new hires such as Doug Field. I think it all sort of points to Apple's ongoing interest in auto hardware and proceeding with its plans to have a much larger test fleet. AirPower. I won't say much about this. I know some people are are going on and on about this, but will Apple launch AirPower, the wireless charging mat, in 2019? Apple did not provide a comment pertaining to missing AirPower's launch deadline, which was probably sometime in the first half of 2018. In my opinion, the lack of announcement points more to ongoing development efforts versus a complete project cancellation. That brings us to the last category of questions, and that is capital expenditures and M&A. Will Apple unveil any significant changes to its manufacturing and supply chain apparatus? So after a few years of little publicity, rising U.S.-China trade tensions have put Apple's contract manufacturers and the supply chain in the spotlight, questions regarding Apple's need to maybe diversify out of China have been on the rise. Is Apple planning additional U.S. expansion when it comes to either additional facilities and real estate? We have the recent announcement of Apple building a new campus near its Austin, Texas campus. Does that possibly leave the door open for Apple announcing another campus, possibly maybe on the East Coast? M&A. Which companies will Apple buy in 2019? It's a very open-ended question, and it's a very difficult question to answer because Apple tends to buy small, relatively unknown companies for technology and talent. Over the past few years, Apple has bought about 10 companies per year. The last question, retail. I think it's a good question to end up because Apple retail is always an important part of the Apple experience Will Apple announce any major new retail initiatives? Apple has been focused on expanding the Today at Apple sessions around the world, in addition to remodeling many of its older stores. The number of new store openings has slowed as Apple focuses on really these high profile locations in the world's largest cities. That is my list of questions for Apple in 2019. I think at the end of this, what it's done is give us some clarity. As to where Apple stands on a lot of things, it helps set the stage for the upcoming year. My expectation is that a lot of the weekly articles, the podcast episodes, the daily updates, they're going to be focused on some of these questions. And I think as we went through it, you could see how some questions are trickier than others to answer. Some of them may be a little bit more strategic than others, so that's going to play a role in, in what really is going to be the defining topics of 2019. If we go by the news flow of the past couple weeks, I have a feeling this year is going to be just as busy for Apple as 2018. I think that's going to be a good thing for Above Avalon and for the discussion that we have in this podcast. That's going to do it for today's episode. Even though this is the first episode of 2019, I have been busy the past few weeks publishing daily updates. So throughout the week, I publish a 2,000-word email about Apple. We cover everything from Apple business and strategy analysis, Apple earnings, financial estimates, my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, keynotes, events, if it is of interest to Apple. It is something I pay attention to in these daily updates. As mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I published my thoughts on Apple cutting first quarter 2019 guidance. It was a big story. There's a lot to talk about, so I dedicated two updates to the topic, and each daily update is 3,000 words. There are a lot of different topics covered, including what I think happened in China, what I got wrong and right, about iPhone sales and U.S.-China trade detentions and how I think Apple should respond to this. One other update that I wanted to point out is Apple making changes to some of its content distribution. So we went over Apple bringing iTunes to Samsung smart TVs, Apple expanding AirPlay 2 support to smart TVs. I think the consensus reaction to this news is off the mark. I think this idea of Apple no longer prioritizing hardware, I think, is off the mark. And so he went over my perspective on what I think is going on with Apple's content distribution arm. If you are already an Above Avalon member, you can check for those daily updates in your inbox. If you are not an Above Avalon member and you would like to read those particular daily updates and receive new updates going forward, you can become a member head on over to AboveAvalon.com, go to the membership page. There are two membership options. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. While the daily updates represent the cornerstone of membership, there are additional privileges and benefits. Members have access to Above Avalon reports so these are in-depth examinations into Apple. Each report is four to 5,000 words and focused on one topic. Members also have access to my Apple earnings model, which contains all of my financial projections. There is a forum, so you can chat with other above Avalon members. There is an archive, so you can read previously sent material. And there are a few other privileges and benefits, including priority email access and receiving the weekly article via email. For more information, head on over to the membership page. I have answers to the most commonly asked questions regarding membership. And one question that I've been getting in increasing frequency is regarding group memberships. So memberships are intended for a single user. However, group memberships are available if you have five or more people, so this is perfect for your team or for your company. For more information, just contact me directly. Last but certainly not least, if you are already an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you are thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.